All right, so let's go ahead and get started. We finished up in verse 11 of chapter 4 of Ephesians. So we will pick up in verse 12 tonight. Uh, just as a quick recap, Paul kind of switched gears uh, there around verse 7, and he started talking about the spiritual gifts. So in the first part of chapter 4, he was talking about our relationship with other believers, and then he gets into spiritual gifts. Now these gifts, uh, just as a quick reminder, are not the only gifts. This is not the only time that the Apostle Paul rever refers to spiritual gifts. It's also in Romans chapter 12, verse 3 through 8. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4, all the way down through verse number 31. And in those places, he doesn't always give the same list because there's multiple different kinds of gifts. So he doesn't, he, he's not giving an all-inclusive list here in Ephesians nor in the other uh, uh, passages. So we saw that uh, the gifts uh, that um, was given in verse number 11, it says that he gave some apostles and some prophets some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. If you remember, we talked about how that the um, prophets and the apostles and the prophets were a uh, foundational thing. And we saw that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 20. I'll read it really quick. And it's talking about uh, the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So that's where we get that the prophets and the apostles were a foundational thing. The, the, the church was just beginning. The body of Christ was beginning at that point, after Christ's crucifixion. And the early church did not have the scriptures like we have. Uh, they had the Old Testament law, but they didn't have the New Testament scriptures because... They hadn't been written yet. Paul is, he authors half of the New Testament. So they needed uh, apostles and prophets at that time. And we talked about uh, even John when he wrote the book of Revelation. That was a prophecy. He was prophesying of future things to come. So we don't have apostles and prophets today. They were foundational. They were unique to the early church. They were needed at that time. But now, today, we do have evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Um, and we talked about how that the evangelist, evangelist and pastor are both preachers. They both preach the gospel. But they typically have a little bit different focus. An evangelist is typically the one who we think of that will come in and preach a revival. Uh, and, and they'll travel around and preach other places. They're, they're not in one place. So they have a different ministry. Their ministry is to uplift the saints, to reach the lost. And that's the primary point of their ministry. They typically, it's not that they can't preach foundational truth. It's just that that's not the purpose most of the time of what they're doing. Uh, but then when you get into pastors, uh, they are... Uh, under shepherds, so they're shepherds that watch over a flock, and their job is to give those foundational truths. That's why you will hear a pastor preach certain things and on certain subjects that you will rarely ever hear a visiting evangelist 
preach on because it's just a different part of the ministry. It's not that pastors can't preach to lost. It's not that they can't preach uh, to uplift the saints and, and to, to get people stirred up and on fire for God. They can do that as well. Uh, and evangelists are fully capable. Uh, preachers are fully capable of teaching doctrinal truths. But that's not the purpose of them coming into preacher revival. Sometimes it is. Sometimes you'll have a guest speaker that comes in and they're going to speak on prophecy all week. Well, they're getting into those foundational truths, learning and teaching. Uh, but those are the different ones. And then uh, we have teachers, and that's people that teach the Word of God and instruct, and that's a gift uh, that God has given them. So now we get into verse number 12, and Paul starts to explain the purpose of the gifts of the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. So he says, uh, he gives three specific things that is their purpose. Verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So that's the threefold ministry that Paul's talking about. So the perfecting of the saints. Here's... Uh, a good rule of thumb. When you see the word perfect or perfecting, anything deals with perfect. Whenever the Bible says, be a perfect man, he's not talking about perfect as in sinless. Perfect is the word that was used to mean complete, to be well-rounded. Uh, so he's talking about being a complete person. So for the perfecting of the saints, to help the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers are there to help develop the saints of God and help us to grow in, in our spiritual life and develop into uh, more complete spiritual people. And then uh, for the work of the ministry, that's the, what is the ministry? Well, the ministry is preaching to the lost and getting people saved. You say, well, that's evangelist's job. That's not this church's job. Oh, no, that's this church's primary responsibility. So the, the church has three basic responsibilities, every church. One, and not necessarily in this order, but one is to reach the lost, to reach the community, to, to see people saved and, and born again. The other job of the ministry of the church is to uh, teach the saints and to feed the people of God so that they can grow and develop. When that new convert comes into when that person comes into the church and they give their heart and life to Christ it's the church's responsibility to take that person and teach them what thus saith the word of God help them to grow spiritually help them to to, to find God's will for their life and to to teach them the scriptures that is the church's responsibility not get them saved and say see you later have a good time they're the responsibility of that local church and then the other job of the church is where he talks about right here, edifying of the body of Christ. Why do we come here? Do we come here to, to develop Christian people? Yes. Do we come here to preach to the lost? Yes. But our primary goal is to come here and worship God. So that's the edifying of the body of Christ. We are to lift up Christ. I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. So we're here to worship an almighty God, to reach the lost and to be there for one another and help us grow and develop and uh, perfect ourselves or grow spiritually.
Now we get in uh, to verse number 13. He said, how long is all this supposed to happen? How long is the perfecting of the saints, the work of the ministry, and the edifying of the body of Christ, uh, how long is that supposed to happen? Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man or a complete person unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, the part here in, at the beginning of the verse where he says, until we all come in the unity of the faith, we have to understand that we are to be perfecting ourselves. We're to be growing spiritually and getting closer in our walk with God and to become in unity. Unity should be the main uh, drive of every church member, of every person that's in the church, that's in the body of Christ. It's all unity. And if you'll notice, Paul, all the way th through the book of Ephesians, he's constantly talking about being united. He's talking about one God. He's talking about we need to come together. We need to stay together. We need to uh, uh, feed off of each other. And that's the theme of the book of Ephesians. That's all the way through it, the oneness. And it, it, the one reason he's talking about that is because, remember, we, we talked about the Jews and the Gentiles. This was all new to them, that, that we all serve the same God and we're all going to the same heaven. This, this was a new thing. But it's still needful today because we have divisions in, in churches. We have divisions in denominations and all those things. Now, so we got to come together in unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. So we need full discernment. So we're going to talk a little bit tonight. Paul really gets into our spiritual being and our growth as a Christian. And we're going to really look at that tonight. And that's where he's talking about this discernment, that, that we need to be uh, fully versed in the Word of God. And then he says um, to be a perfect man. And that perfect man means a complete person. Sometimes in the Word of God, the word man is used speaking of a male individual. And sometimes the word man is used to speak of the human race, mankind. Okay, so that's what we have to understand is that sometimes he is, and we do that too. We can say it's because of man. Well, it's not because of one man. It's because of humanity is what we mean by that. So he's talking about that we've become a perfect person. And then he says, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, that word measure uh, means a limited portion. And we saw it uh, earlier in the scripture in verse number 7, where he has given unto us the measure of the gift of Christ. So that's a limited portion that he's given, and it's talking about those spiritual gifts. But down here, he's saying that it, we, we should be a perfect person unto the measure of the stature of Christ. Now, that word stature is very interesting. In our English language, you can use one word, and depending on the context and how you use it, it can mean two completely separate things. So I can use the word fly, and I could say the plane was flying. Well, that means it's in the air. I could say I was driving down Stone Drive, and I was flying. It doesn't mean I was in the air. It means I was driving very fast. So it's the exact same word, but it's 
in the context, it means two completely different things. So this word stature here has two definitions. It can mean a full age or what we would think of as maturity. It would mean a fully grown adult, a mature person, or it can mean stature in the sense of a person's height. So I'll give you two examples. In Luke 19, uh, in verse number 3, this word is used, and it's the story about Zacchaeus. You remember Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree, right, uh, for the Lord he wanted to see. And in verse number 3 of Luke 19, it says, And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press, because he was little of stature. Now that word stature there doesn't mean he was immature. It means he was a short person. He was small. So we understand the context there and that it's speaking about his height. Now the same Greek word uh, is used right here in chapter 4 verse 13. The same one in Luke 19.3 as we just said. And it's also used in John chapter 9 uh, in verse number 21. It's translated into a different word rather than stature but it is the same Greek word so this is when Jesus healed the blind man the Pharisees denied it and they wanted the blind man to prove that he was blind because they didn't believe that God had healed him so they demanded that the parents of this man come in and they questioned the parents and they said is this your son which was supposedly born blind and so his, the parents answered and said, this is our son. He was born blind. Then it goes on in verse number 21, and it says, but by what means he now seeth, we know not. Or who had opened his eyes. He, we weren't there. We don't know how he got his sight back. He says, we know not. He is of age. Ask him. He will speak for himself. So that, those two words, of age, is the exact same Greek word here that was transferred or translated as stature. So sometimes the word stature is used to uh, describe somebody's height, and sometimes stature is used to describe somebody's maturity level. So what Paul was saying here is that until we get the measure which is that limited portion of the maturity of the development of Christ himself, the fullness of Christ. Now, when will, we re when will we attain the complete fullness and the full stature of Christ? At the rapture. That's when we're going to get, but, but we need to strive to get as close as we can every single day until the rapture happens. Uh, so that's when we're going to be fully complete. So another reason here that we know for a fact that Paul was uh, saying the word stature, this Greek word, meaning uh, being a full age or being mature, because we're going to jump down real quickly to verse number 14, and he comes right out and says it. So, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children. And that word children, actually, when we think of children, you could think of a 5-year-old, you could think of a 12-year-old. They're children, right? But this word children is referring to infants. So babies that have to be fed, that have to be clothed, that have to uh, be taken care of, that have to be carried around. 
So he's talking here when he uses the word stature in, chat, in verse number 13 about the maturity level. And uh, that fullness he's talking about of Christ means that when we get completely holy. So we can be a complete person and be just a limited portion of the maturity of the Son of God. Now, as I said, Paul speaks about unity all throughout the book, and it was his priority in the early church. What we have to understand as Christians today, that we cannot fight the devil alone. We cannot resist the world alone. We have to depend on each other. We have to draw strength from, from one another when we're down. We have to do intercessory prayer for our brothers and sisters when they're down. And we have to draw strength from each other. Because here is the thing. When the church is divided up into individuals or into small groups, they are fair game for the devil. When we are single or small, we are weak and vulnerable. But when we come together as a group, you think about if a group of spiritually mature people that are full of the Holy Ghost of God come into a, into a unified church that is full of the power of God, that is something that the devil cannot get a hold of. The devil's not going to split that church. The devil's not going to have influence in that church because the power of God reigns. And that's what Paul's talking about. When we come together in unity, that oneness, and we come together, the devil is no match for us because we're something? No, because we're filled with the Holy Spirit of God and God's in control and the devil can whoop me individually. He can tear you apart. But when we get all on the same side and our big brother, the Lord Jesus Christ, is standing there with us, the devil doesn't have a prayer. He doesn't have a chance. So that's what Paul's talking about, that we need to come together because that's where the strength is. Then he talks about the importance of being mature. He says that we henceforth be no more children, infants, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Now, this is... Uh, Really, really important when we look at this. So he's saying that we should be perfecting the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the church, till we all come together in unity in the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, a complete person, and to the measure striving to be more like Christ. Why do we do that? That we no more be children, that we don't be infants anymore, that we grow up spiritually and we mature spiritually. Because infants are carried to and fro. Is that not what a, a baby can't walk? They're carried to and fro. They, they, they have no control over where they go. They have no control over the clothes they wear. They have no ability to feed themselves. They have no ability to clothe themselves. They have no ability to get from point A to point B. They have to be helped. Unfortunately, that is also describing a lot of Christians today. They have no ability to feed themselves. They have no ability to know what God's will is. They have to be carried. They have to be taken care of. They have to be clothed and they have to be dressed and they have to be told to come to church. They have to be told everything to do because they're immature babes in Christ. 
and they're, they, they can be easily tricked. They, they're easily gullible. You think about, I, listen, I could get a four-year-old kid and I could, have them, I could tell them a story and have them believing that uh, the sky's falling or, or I can tell a story about, you know, I met the president and that four-year-old will believe me. You wouldn't believe me. You'd say, you're a lying fool if I told you I met the president. But I could convince a four-year-old. Why? Because they're immature. They're, they, they believe what they're told. And when you have an immature Christian, they can be deceived by false doctrine very, very easily because they can't rightly divide the word of truth. And they can be convinced. They, they can be carried about and tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. You, you, have a, you have an immature Christian, somebody that's not spiritually mature, they, they will get on the bandwagon of some doctrine and they'll believe it and then somebody will tell them something else and they'll believe that and then somebody will tell them something else and they'll go over there and they're just, they're just like a baby. They're just carried over here and carried over there. They have no direction in their life. So when you think about a child and when you think about immaturity, and maturity doesn't really have anything to do with age. we got to understand that. I have known 18-year-old uh, what we would consider young men or young women that are more mature than a 30-year-old adult. That a 30-year-old adult might be more of an immature baby than a 15-year-old. So hopefully as we age, we also mature, but sometimes young people mature faster, and we've all seen that. Well, she's only 16, but man, she's a real mature 16 because she has wisdom and knowledge about things and she doesn't act like your typical 16 year old so we have to understand that what do little children do what do immature little children do they get mad when they don't get their way they throw temper tantrums they they want to kick and scream they say i'm going to take my ball and go home and then uh, what they do is they just make a mess everywhere they go and they never clean it up. Well, spiritually immature people are exactly the same way. They have to be told what to do. They have to be told how to believe. They have to be told when to pray. They have to be told everything and they're, 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 they're tossed to and fro and they just make messes everywhere they go. And they go from one church, and then that church has problems, and it splits up. They go to another church. That one has problems, and it splits up. They go somewhere else. What could be causing all this? It might be you. If, if, if you've had three church splits in the last five years, and every church you go to is doing great, and then it splits, it might be you. It may not be the church. So what he's saying here is that we're infants. And when, that, when he uses that word slight, uh, by the slight of men, that means by the fraud of men. And then when he says cunning craftiness, that word cunning means skilled in deceiving people and craftiness means evil schemes. This is what we have to know and understand. And if you are a, a, a Christian that is mature and has been in this for a long time, you will know exactly what I'm talking about. There are those people who are looking for inexperienced and unlearned Christians so that they can teach them a false doctrine and have a following and take full advantage of them. They are lying in wait. They, they, they love it when that, when that unlearned Christian walks in the back of the house. They've got a, a blank slate that they can mold them into whatever they want them to be. And that's where a lot of legalism comes into play. We have to understand 
that not every church, just because it says it's a church and has pews and has a pulpit, not every church is led by godly people who have godly intentions. Some are just in it for selfish reasons. Some are in it for fame, reputation, money. And you tell any pastor you're in it for the money, they'll laugh at you. Okay? But that's what some people are. And it, if we are grounded in the doctrines of the Word of God, we will not be easily fooled by deceitful lies. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse number 25, he said, But the Word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Then jump down to chapter 2. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and guile and hypocrisies and envies and evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that they may grow thereby. So what he's telling us is not that we're babes. He's saying we should be like newborn babies and we should desire the word of God like a newborn baby cries for milk. We... At this church and every church across America, we should have the congregation standing up and saying, why do we only teach the Bible on Wednesday nights? We need a Monday night Bible study for the people that can't get here. We, we ought to be clamoring for more teaching and preaching of the Word of God. Amen. But our churches all across the country can't get anybody to come. Nobody's interested in teaching the Word of God. If, if we had a big thing and a big dinner, the church would be full. But if you have a Bible study, hmm, crickets, nobody comes. And that's not being mean. That's just saying this is the state that we're in, that Paul says we need to be like newborn babes. And then in verse number 15, this is where um, he really gets on our toes. He says, speaking the truth in love. Now, that word love is the agape love. That is that one-way love where... God loves us and doesn't expect anything in return. Jesus Christ died on the cross, not so we would do something for him, but he died on the cross because he loved us. And he expected nothing in return. He did it for us. So evangelists, pastors, and teachers, we have to speak the truth, but the caveat is we have to do it in love. And sometimes that's hard. Right? Sometimes we want to tell people what the Bible says and straighten them out, but we have to do it in an attitude of love. And that's where it trips a lot of people up. We have to speak the truth no matter what people want to hear, but we have to do it in a form of love. And the old saying goes, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Then in verse number 15, after he says, speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. So what is Paul saying here? He's saying, Christians, grow up. Stop being immature babies and mature, why don't you? Why don't you start growing up? Why don't you start using these gifts, the, the, the pastors, the evangelists, the teachers, and grow and mature. The expectation is that as Christians we mature and that we grow up. Into what? Into Him in all things. The more mature we are spiritually, the more Christ-like we are. There are three evidence of spiritual maturity. One is Christ-likeness. The other is stability, not tossed to and fro. We're stable. We know what we believe. We know why we believe it. And then that truth is joined with love. 
That's a spiritually mature person where they don't hold grudges. They don't try to get people. They want to help people. They tell people the truth that might be hurtful when, when they hear it, but it's said in an attitude of love because we really care about you and we want to tell you what is the truth rather than trying to tell people what they want to hear. Some very familiar verses of Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, 14, and 15 we have, not, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. But the natural man, listen to this, the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. I want you to, to hear this verse number 15. But he that is spiritual judges all things. Yet he himself is judged of no man. So what does that mean? What he's saying is, if we are a spiritually mature person, and we're mature in the spirit of God, then we judge all things. Is that the right thing for me to do? Is that the right way for me to wear my hair? Is that the right clothes that I should wear to this event? Should I go here? Should I do this thing? We judge all things. We, a spiritually mature person doesn't need anybody to tell them what's right and what's wrong, what they should and should not do, because they judge all things. They look at all things from a spiritual perspective by the Holy Spirit of God, and the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. So that person judges all things. And then it says, but he himself is judged of no man. Does that mean that nobody tries to judge that person, that man or that woman? That's not what it means. It means that you can try to tell them what they should do and how they should act and what they should say, but they will ignore you because they're not trying to please you. They're trying to please a holy God, and the spirit within them directs their past. And if how they live their life offends you, then that's just too bad for you. That's, that's the sign of a spiritually mature Christian. Not that they're mean to anybody, but they it's not that people don't try to judge them. They ignore that. That's static in the background. They will not change how they live their life because some legalistic pastor says, you have to wear your hair this way. They're going to, do, they're going to be led by the Holy Spirit of God. That's why he says that he that is spiritual judges all things. And yet he himself is judged by no man. So we will pick up right there. Uh, I didn't get completely finished uh, with uh, that verse, but we will jump right back in there in verse number 15 and finish that up next week.